We're going to be looking at a, th- <clears throat> Excuse me. at a thread of God's purpose that is woven into what Jesus described as both the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. It's more than a thread, really. It's, it's more like the overall background color of the beautiful tapestry that was Jesus' earthly ministry. In the second week, we'll lead, we'll land on one very important aspect of his kingdom, which is the endowed authority of the believer, of us, which we don't grasp very well, but it's there. It'll help answer the question, what is the kingdom of God like? And what will I, you, be doing there? It may not be what you think, but it's there in scripture to teach us and to motivate us. I think that in large numbers, the church throughout its history has minimized and overlooked or marginalized and or misunderstood the significance of several of Jesus' teachings, the things he taught his first disciples, which they then taught us. Let's begin with the word perspective. You've probably all heard the Uh, illustration of the three blind men and the elephant. Anybody not familiar with that? Three blind men were asked to describe an elephant and one is touching his his center mass and an elephant is huge. And one is touching the trunk but not the center mass. And that blind man thinks the elephant is very strong and wiggly. And someone else is just taking a hold of the tail and they get a very different view of the elephant. None of them have the full perspective. God would, I think, like us to have a full perspective of what his kingdom is and what he's doing through it. We read in God's word we are at, when we read in God's word, we're adding to our perspective of God and his plan for creation. If we have a right perspective, we can become equipped to live our lives in a way that best honors God and advances his kingdom and makes our life meaningful and purposeful, both now and in this life and in eternity. When When we begin reading something, we begin with a perspective about that subject, right? Whatever we bring to the table. Maybe it's a book, it's a magazine, maybe the title catches your interest because you've heard about that before. Maybe you don't know anything about it. By the time we're done reading, we may have learned new information that changes our perspective. With a new perspective, we may begin valuing a thing that we had undervalued for a long time. The new perspective may even change our choices 
or our behaviors or our priorities. Perspective is a powerful thing. In this series, I want to give you an enhanced perspective that comes from connecting various truths that God implanted in his word. We're going to connect some dots that will help make the big picture of what God is up to much clearer. We're going to be able to see another part of why Jesus wants us to follow him. Remember Peter once said, We've given up everything to follow you. Why does God want us to be willing to give up everything to follow him? Why? The short answer is because it's worth it. The longer answer has more to do with our eternal life than it does with this life. Hard to imagine but I think it's true. One of the important concepts for every Christian to grasp is that God is immutable. One of those nice, long theological words. He doesn't change. He cannot be changed. This particular characteristic of God relates to all the others and is critical to our understanding of who he is. He's immutable. If he were not, then his other qualities might not stay the same. His holiness, maybe it's part-time holiness. He loves us some of the time, not others. He's all-powerful except when he loses. All-knowing, he's just, he's true, he's eternal, etc., and etc. This particular characteristic of God, his immutability, relates to all the others and helps us to keep our feet grounded, firm on the rock. The Westminster Shorter Confession, no, Catechism, says that God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite and eternal and unchangeable. Those things do not change. And a number of scriptures attest to this. Did they get it right? Those people that wrote that catechism? Yeah, they did. That was a long time ago. He's still the same God today. Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and he will, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Psalm chapter 102, verse 26 and 27. In there it says, But you are the same, and your years have no end. Malachi 3, 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. 
Apparently, the unchanging nature of God has something to do with our very ability to live, to continue to have life. The immutability of God is a wonderful thing. We could look at more examples of of it, but I think these make the point, neither God nor his word changes. Now, I think that one of God's unchangeable character traits that gets overlooked is his creativity. We see his brilliant creativity on display every day, don't we? All you have to, we don't even have to open our eyes and we can marvel at what he has done. I think we tend to leave, though, leave his creativity back in the beginning with the six days of creation. That, of course, culminated in his placing Adam and Eve in the garden. We leave it there because it says that on the seventh day, he quit, right? Done, finished, retired from that part of his being. Now everything exists and we'll go on. But does it really say he quit? What does it say? He rested. Oh, kind of implies a short break, a time of rest that is then turned back to the work at hand. God is immutable, right? He's still creative. Okay. We need to hold on to our knowledge of his creativity while we make a great leap through all of human history, starting in the Garden of Eden and landing in the New Jerusalem. We'll talk about this next week, but I want to hold, I want you to hold these two points, Eden, beginning, Eden, and the New Jerusalem, connected by God and what he's doing. We don't see it very easily in scripture, but it's there. Since we clearly understand that God is immutable, we can read what he has said to his disciples and know that he and his word are unchangeable and are unchanged and unchangeable. What was and what will be. From Job to John the Revelator and through to the last person to become a disciple of Jesus, he's unchanged. He's the same. We can know that God is not going to change the plan on us. He's not changed who he is, nor what he has said about what has happened so far, nor what will happen in the future. He has not been, nor will he ever be, some slick huckster that is manipulating us for his own entertainment. 
That's not what's going on. Rock solid is his love for us. It was true, and it will be true forever. One and done is our salvation. There won't be another. There wasn't someone else that he offered this through. Jesus. Both immovable and unstoppable is his eternal plan for us. Not just the plan for our life on this earth. His eternal plan for us. The only variable for us, not to him, is how well we are going to trust and obey him. The old hymn that declares trust and obey for there's no other way is spot on. To use a phrase from our British friends. Spot on in describing our role in our eternal relationship with our God. Good to hang on to that, isn't it? God has not changed and never will. Now, I have said that a few times this morning. I did that on purpose. I really want to hammer that home. And I want it to become part of the way we go through our day. Our normal day here in Battle Creek. That we look at the things that are going on around us and remember, God has not changed and he's not going to. Now let's talk a little bit about our perspective and the expectations about heaven. What have you been told about our eternal destination? Some things coming to mind? Jesus referred to it as heaven and my father's house and paradise and the kingdom of heaven. Where is it? What's it like? Who will be there? What are we going to do there? What will I be like when I get there? We've all got some ideas about these things and some answers. I'm pretty sure there's more about where we're going than we've ever imagined. Another important realization this morning should be that we all have some mis conceptions about heaven, conceptions that may have been influenced or that may influence our willingness to commit to living a fruitful disciple's life. Of course, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, we've been willing to live godly lives to one degree or another. Yeah? That was the whole point of saying yes to Jesus. Truth is, we've been more than happy to receive eternal life. But our track record of letting Christ live through us has been a bit spotty. We do really well at some times, and praise God for that. You can take encouragement and hope from that. But we don't do so well well at other times. Our flesh... Man, it just doesn't want to stay on the altar. It keeps butting in and saying, give me what I want. Life in Christ is a struggle to say the least. 
Agreed? It's good to remember that our struggles are not a surprise to our Heavenly Father. He knows what we're going through. He allows what we're going through. Nothing could come into our lives that got around his will. I hope we're all leave here today knowing that Jesus spoke the truth and that he told us what we need to know about the kingdom of heaven. But there have been others who have taken liberties with what the scripture says about heaven. Now, I may step on some toes here because lots of people really like the art of the Renaissance and the art of today. Sadly, there have been others who have tried to reinterpret Scripture for us. And they've been pretty successful at it. Sadly, among Christians today is the warped and downright insidious. There's a good word for you kids to ask mom and dad about later today. Insidious. Destructive, but attractive. That's one of the definitions in Merriam-Webster's dictionary. A downright insidious perception of heaven as portrayed by the arts and literature community of the past 500 years. The overwhelming majority of images that we've seen in Western religious art and imagined in Western cultural literature do not line up with what God has already said about heaven and his kingdom. They don't really look much like the truth. Much of what our societies have accepted and absorbed as our best depiction of heaven is in fact a twisted and deceiving ruse that the enemy of God continues to use to deceive the lost and to disincentivize. That's a nice big word too. Disincentivize. Make it kind of seem like it's not worth it. To disincentivize who? Us, the believers. It's been used to blur the vision of the church. We've been under the influence of our culture and some believers have driven their faith right off into a ditch. Thanks to some of the lies we've believed. It's not hard to find Renaissance artists, current pop artists, Modern comedians who have not gotten it right. Sorry. No, Mr. Renaissance painter, heaven will not be piles of half-naked, overweight people lounging around looking stoned. That's not it. There are no cloud-based musician babies. That's not a thing. No, God is not ripped. He's not a ripped, white-bearded grandpa reaching out toward man, but not quite able to reach him. That's not a good idea for us to take in. 
No, Mr. Comedian, Peter will not be greeting us at the gates of heaven and issuing us wings and a harp. Fun as that could be. That's not it. They're distorted and demoralizing false images that eat away at our faith and our hope of heaven, our real hope. I suspect that some people seeing these ridiculous images just tune out the truthful message of Jesus. It's ridiculous. Not believable. Let's not make it worse by repeating these silly jokes that involve St. Peter at the gate and the others like them. Yeah, they're a little bit funny. But let's, let's not participate in, in leading people astray. Instead, let's all speak truth all the time. Truth like this. We have already entered a functioning kingdom that is beyond our physical eyes. We're in the midst of it, people. Our true father and our true brother are on their thrones. And their plans are underway. Praise God, there's so much more to our everlasting life than what we see in their culture. Before we go any further this morning, I'd like now to introduce some pertinent questions for you to meditate on this week. Number one, what if my salvation is not just about avoiding hell and getting into heaven? Sometimes it's presented that way. It's your escape route from hell and here's your ticket to heaven. Who got my ticket. I'm good. Go about whatever else I want to do because I've got my ticket. What if heaven is not a gigantic eternal retirement party? but instead, like a wedding reception. It's the beginning of a whole new eternal life, one with purpose. You can think about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Maybe take time to look that up in Scripture. We're not ending something when we get there. We're... We're participating in starting something. What if becoming like Jesus and being productive disciples is directly related to our usefulness to God in eternity, throughout eternity? What if my obedience and faithfulness in this life have an effect on what I'll be doing in eternity? I probably should have printed 150 three by five cards with these questions on it to hand them out. Think on these things this week. Let these questions percolate 
in your heart. I remember many years ago, I sometimes heard a particular Christian radio program. It was a husband and wife who taught the word of God and often focused on the kingdom of God. They sometimes referred to kingdom adventures. Anybody remember that? As a young man, I was a Christian. (laughs) I wasn't impressed. I thought they were trying to teach adults in a very childish way. I'd always eventually just turn to a different station. Turns out, the kingdom of God was, still is, and will continue to be the most important thing happening in our lives. Huh. It's a past, present, and future reality within which all the high drama and tedious boredom of earth's history has been played out. It existed before creation and will continue into a new heaven and a new earth. It's something that followers of Jesus need to understand because he had, not, or he had a lot to say about it. And no matter how young or old you are, the exchange of the mortal life for immortal is not that far away. God started teaching his people about the kingdom of heaven a long time ago through his prophets, including Isaiah and Ezekiel and David and a lot of them. In 1 Chronicles 29, it says, God said through David, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Is, that might be, is. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. That was a long time ago. God has been teaching about this, teaching us for a long time. Are we catching on? Here are some of the things that Jesus has said about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let's keep in mind that he should know because he's been there. Because he came from there. He had firsthand knowledge to share with us. In Matthew's gospel alone, we find 31 instances of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of heaven, just in Matthew. We see it in Jesus' sermon on the mount. Remember, he's in front of all these crowds of people. And he says, blessed is he. He's got all these blessed is he proclamations. In a statement to the assembled crown, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, was not hyperbole. He wasn't just working the crowd, hoping he's going to get a good offering at the end. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 11, 11, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
Have you been impressed with what John the Baptist did in his ministry leading up to Jesus? Jesus is saying, that's kind of nothing compared to what those who in the kingdom of heaven are going to do. When Jesus sent out the 12 to do ministry on their own, he told them in Matthew 10, verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course, people went, I don't see it. But it was true. Jesus said it. It's true. Matthew also records in chapter 6, verses 9 through 16, I won't read all of that, that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he began with, Our Father who art in heaven. And he continued with, Thy kingdom come. And he ended with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory When they said, teach us how to pray, what he gave them was pretty short. Many of us have been repeating that prayer for our lives and kind of missed the fact that he emphasized heaven and the kingdom of heaven three times in that short prayer. Maybe there is a reason for that. I want to turn your attention now to some of the parables that Jesus taught. Remember, the parable was a teaching tool that Jesus used often. He often began with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then everybody paid attention. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. And he went on to talk about how the seed was good, but it landed in places sometimes where it wasn't, it didn't take root. It didn't have an effect. The gospel of the kingdom is not taken to heart by everyone. We know that. We live lives here on earth. And we try to live a witness about Jesus. Sometimes we use our mouths to witness about him and it seems to go nowhere. It often doesn't have the effect we hoped that people would receive it. Jesus said, that's okay. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Not everyone will take it to heart. Matthew 13, 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. So we're to understand that it starts off small and it becomes really big. These seem like simple concepts but we have to try to keep them in mind that that's what we're living in. That's what he has us working in. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Just a little mixed into the big lump of dough and man, the dough just goes, it expands. It gets exponentially bigger. All right, that's a principle of the kingdom. It doesn't take much. The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, and he goes on to explain what the man did, the point was, it's worth trading everything we have in this life to gain it. 
You're not holding any kind of asset, any kind of job, any kind of prestige that is not worth giving up for the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Same basic point. It's worth whatever we have to give to gain it. Yet again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake. Gathered up the fish. Some of them were good. Some of them weren't. The kingdom of heaven is not intended for everyone. We don't know which ones. And so we have to be faithful with his word and his witness and tell everyone. God knows who will come, but he wants us involved in that process. In his explanation of the parables to the 12, he identifies which things mean what, or this stands for that, but the kingdom is always spoken of as real and already existing. The kingdom is not the fictitious part of the story. He says the kingdom is like. John 18, 1 through 4. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus goes over and takes the hand of a little one and brings that one over among his disciples. Right? The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is like a child. What is it about that child that made him or her a, a good picture of the kingdom? The child knows to trust their parents even though they don't understand most of what's going on. That's what he wants us to be like. He wants us to live in the place where we'll trust our father. Even though we don't know what's going on, what's going on here? This doesn't make sense. This doesn't look good. I can't imagine how this is good for me. Trust the father. He knows. Are you getting the point that Jesus framed the teaching of his entire ministry around the reality of the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to understand it and be changed by that understanding. He wants us to be trained in it and become sanctified by the process. In that sense, he wants us to be childlike, accepting his teaching with childlike faith. He also said, not everyone hears. Matthew 13, in telling the parable about the sower, Jesus said to the disciples, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Have you ever seen this happen? Yeah. It's hard to trust God like a little kid 
We want to know what's going on. We want answers. And all too often, from our perspective, we don't get the answers. It's not that you're being ignored. God has a plan. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. His teachings are profound. They reshape human understanding of what heaven is like. And this is so important because what's ahead of us should inform us of how to live now. We even have warnings related to the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 7, verse 11, we see, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. It's not enough to know about God and plan on talking your way into heaven when when this life is over. Lord, Lord, yeah, I remember you. You're a good teacher. Can I come in? I never knew you, he'll say to some. The kingdom, the kingdom is made up of doers. Brothers and sisters, we have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb to become not only loved by God, but useful in his eternal plans. We need a clarified view of heaven so that we so that we don't underestimate the importance of how we spend our short, short mortal lives. Every time I have a birthday, I am reminded of how short our lives are. Life goes by in a hurry, doesn't it? Kids, you may not understand this. (laughs) It may seem like school lasts forever, but really, life is short. Thankfully, we don't need to know all of God's plans. What we need to know is here in Scripture. Are you spending time in it? Really? No, really. Are you spending time bathing in God's Word? I mean, we all know we should, and we, sometimes we do really well. I'm saying stick with it. Dig, dig, dig. Look for those connect points. Become more like Jesus and struggle less with obeying him. Our helper. Remember, we have a helper. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and leading. Just ask. He's not a begrudging being. He loves us too. This is enough for us to become and remain, become and remain faithful now and also prepared for what's next. Sometimes we think that this stuff is here to get us through this life. Then when we get to heaven, 
Now I can relax. Everything's going to be clear then. So just get through this life. And I'm saying this morning, no, what we take from this now and live out through our lives and through the Lord It's not to get a little temporary job like this life done. It's to prepare us for what he has for us in heaven. The kingdom of God is way more than what we've given God credit for. He's already said that we don't know what's been prepared for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We don't know, but we have some hints. We need to look at them. There's that word again, purpose. Next week, we'll be looking closely at another parable that Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven. This next one just may cause you to make some personal adjustments to how and why you walk with Jesus. I prepared this message and I read through it and even spoke it aloud at home more than once. 30 minutes, I had it down. I'm already 40 minutes. Sorry to hold you. Uh, I hope this has been worth it and I do hope that you come back next week uh, for the exciting conclusion.